Welcome to the Retrolinux Podcast. In this podcast, your host, Lori Ami, will interview published authors to chat about their work, journey to getting published, and their book recommendations. If you share a passion for books and are always looking for your next read, then join us. Welcome to the Retrolinux Podcast. Today's guest is Alexis Daria. Alexis wrote one of my most anticipated new releases for 2020, You Had Me at Ola, which is out this week, and it is amazing. In my interview with Alexis, we chat about her writing process, her books, and of course, her random book recommendations. Now let's go to the interview. Hi, Alexis. Welcome to the Watch Your Next Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So happy to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm an author living in New York City. My next book is a contemporary romance called You Had Me at Ola, and it comes out July 7th. I am so excited for this book. This has been my most anticipated new release. Like I've been talking about this book since November. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking forward for this book for a while. So. <laughs> um, so you actually won Broadway lottery tickets. Which one's been your favorite um, show? So my absolute favorite experience winning uh Broadway ticket lottery has to be Hamilton. Oh my gosh, you did it. Yeah, I won um, when it was still the original cast oh the first God. year that it was on Broadway and um, they were still doing the lotteries in person. So I had this feeling like the be- it was like the beginning of December um, for a Wednesday matinee and I was like, nobody's going to be there at noon in the beginning of December, like the tourists aren't here yet. People are still in school. People are still at work. So I'm just going to go and put my name in the box. And I'd done it a couple times before and hadn't won. But I was like, I feel like if I go tomorrow, I'm going to win. Okay. I went and I won <laughs> and it was just like an amazingly powerful experience. Oh my gosh. So yeah. yeah. I've been trying to, when I live in New York, cause I live in New York for, for quite some time. I've Tried every single day to get to the lottery tickets, and I was just like, I was not a winner. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the digital lottery is so much harder. But in person, that day that I went, there were only like 200 people there. So I was like, my odds are pretty good. Oh my gosh, yeah, your odds are much better. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, what are some of your favorite Broadway shows other than Hamilton, which we know is like amazing? Uh, what other shows? Who you oh my gosh. Um, I like. Some of like the the less popular ones or like weirder ones. Yeah. Like I've seen Hamilton four times, of course, but I've also seen How to Succeed on Broadway or no, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying yep. three times. Okay. Um, there was another one that I saw recently a few times. I was definitely going to go see Moulin Rouge again before Broadway went dark because of yeah. the pandemic, but um, I loved Moulin Rouge so much. The SpongeBob musical was great. <laughs> unexpectedly people at home should listen to the soundtrack on Spotify because it's actually really good. Okay. Um, I loved Shrek the musical, which is on Netflix. So you can watch that too. Oh, um, cool. Blonde, things like that. <laughs> really fun ones. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. When I was in New York, I used to go to Broadway. Um, thanks to my job, I got like free Broadway tickets and I saw like, Amazing. Yeah. Like it was just kind of like awesome. So I would see like, um, I think I saw Kinky Boots the same week that they won the Tonys. Oh, um, that was a that was that a good one. one. And then I saw In the Heights like four times. <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I, I know. I'm so looking forward to the movie, which you know, of course, they've pushed back to next yeah. year, but <sighs> I can wait. Yeah, it's so good. They're actually In the Heights is going to be in Puerto Rico, so I'm I'm supposed to. They were supposed to do it in May. 
but they push it to October and I was supposed to go, I switched my plane ticket to October, but a different week. And I'm like, I need to do some finagling. So yeah. I to go see it. Um, but it's, you really do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It was like such a good show. So awesome. So let's start by writing. Um, sure. So what inspired you to become a writer? So I, I've always loved books and like making up my own stories. Um, but I actually started out as an artist. Oh. So that's what my formal training and education is in. Um, and writing was just something I did on the side for fun. And um, then the year I turned 30, I kind of, <laughs> I like couldn't sleep one night. So I was thinking about that 10,000 hours thing to become yeah. a master of something. And I realized that I had probably done it for art by that point. Yeah. But I hadn't done it for writing and okay. that I should give writing a fair shot. So I it was a hard decision, but I set art aside to go all in on writing and just see where that took me. Oh and here God. we are. And here we are. You're a published author. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your journey to get your first book published? So like I said, I'd been writing for years, but I didn't really take it seriously. Um, so it was a long time before I had actually finished something that I felt was completed and revised enough to query. Mm-hmm. Then I just did a lot of research about the publishing industry, having an agent. Um, I had already been part of some writing groups, but I joined some others. Um, researched romance imprints, how to write a query letter and a synopsis, because those are not intuitive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I queried my first book, uh, which nobody signed me for. <laughs> Gosh, okay. So I wrote something else, which was Take the Lead, and then that was the one that kind of kicked everything off. I love it. And then you have published quite a few books now, so. A few. Uh, a few. <laughs> so that's awesome. So let's talk about writing. Do you fall in that line or do you see where the story leads to? Are you a plotter or a cancer? I am totally a plotter now, but I say that I am, um, I guess I'm a reformed pantser, or I'm not sure how you phrase that, but I used to be a pantser and I never finished anything. Okay. And then when I did finish things, I couldn't revise them because they were such a freaking mess. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought there has to be a better way because other people manage to finish books and yeah. I should be able to do this. So I switched my focus um, to learning about outlining and kind of doing a lot of pre-production work mm-hmm. as opposed to um, post-production. Yeah. So I do a lot of planning in the beginning and then I do a really fast draft and then I revise the hell out of it. Oh, okay. And so how do you keep track of your characters, your ideas, your inspiration, or some of, some of the new things that may come up you know, in the story? Uh, so ideas will start in the notes app on my phone because otherwise I will forget them. <laughs> and a lot of times they come to me when I'm falling asleep. Yeah. Um, and then I will create Spotify playlists for each book okay. um, and Pinterest boards that are private, you know, just for me to collect images and links and setting ideas and things like that to do research. Um, so that's like the inspiration part. Yeah. Um, I do the character work in a notebook. Okay. Um, I have like these little notebooks from Michael's that I got, I probably bought like 15 of them because they were $1.50 each, hardcover, spiral, brown, spiral bound. Um, 
and I'm starting to run out of them and I'm really <laughs> freaking out <laughs> because you know how, you know, as writers, yeah. we have lots of notebooks, but you don't want to use the really good ones. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't ever feel bad about using these because they were so cheap and like the paper's not that great, but they're pretty and they're sturdy. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm worried for my future projects when I run out of these little <laughs> notebooks. I can't find them online anywhere. Um, so I use those to do the character work. And then I have um, a Scrivener document okay. where I have a lot of folders set up. Um, so that's where I organize everything and write my first draft. And then you revise it as it comes along and whatnot. Well, I try to get the first draft done just like, just spill it all out just really quickly so that I can't second guess myself. Yeah. Um, and I do usually end up tweaking my outline around the 50 or 75% points. Okay. Um, and then afterwards, I'll compile it, print it out, and then do revision passes. Okay. And then, so do you do you share your work along the way, or do you wait other for others to read at the end of the work? Um, I have some really great critique partners um, okay. who I am now comfortable with letting them see first draft level work. Yeah. Um, so, because we're in a group, it's just kind of a like okay, who's free to look at this thing right now situation? And usually one of us is, and, you know, we'll say, I can take a look. Um, and again, usually around the halfway point, I'll probably be like, I need someone to look at this and make sure I'm not going completely off the rails. Um, and with Ola, uh, my critique partner, Robin Lovett, uh, really saved me. <laughs> mm. um, around the part where I had Act one complete, she read it. And then from that point on, she just read everything as I wrote it. Okay. And just told me to keep going, which okay. was very helpful. <laughs> yeah, I think that's helpful. I just have someone to be like, just keep writing. You know, you can change it. You can make any edits as it comes along, but it's good just to, you're on the right track. That's, yeah. I feel like that's a good thing. So in your stories, you share, you share Latino, Latina characters. Why is it important to share their stories within the Orleans genre? So I think it's important because we don't have enough of these stories yet, mm -hmm. these yeah. stories and characters. We definitely do have some. There are a lot of really wonderful Latinx authors out there writing these stories. But we can have more, yeah. right? <laughs> Why not have more? Um, you know, we're not a monolith and everyone's, you know, backgrounds are different. Um, even if you come from the same cultural background, your experience is still going to be different. And even if we tried to write the same stories, they would still come out, you know, as completely um, different kinds of projects. So I think it's important that we all share our voices. Um, and I also don't, I don't feel like I have the luxury of ignoring the responsibility of writing those stories, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I think it's, you know, I love you have me at all. You represented you know, the diversity within the Latino community, especially, especially the Puerto Rican community, because people don't, people assume all Puerto Ricans are the same, like Puerto right. Ricans and Puerto Ricans from New York or Puerto Ricans from Chicago, wherever they are, they're all the same. And, you know, there's like such a diverse wide experience. Like I'm from Puerto Rico, I'm from the island. I was born racer, but I lived in New York for 14 years. And my experience is very different from, 
from a Puerto Rican who was born in the Bronx, as well as, you know, someone who's just, who spent the time, you know, all their time in Puerto Rico. So it's actually really, it's really useful. I think it's like, it's amazing to see, you know, representation, to see Latina, Latina, like reading books and seeing themselves characters in the books. So thank you for Well, thank you for saying that because that really is what I was trying to do. Um, especially with Jasmine and Ashton, um, you know, Ashton being from the island um, and he's been living in Miami for a bunch of years, which again would be a different experience yeah. than Jasmine being uh, born in the Bronx, um, like me. Yeah. <laughs> but I, so I got um, a couple of beta readers who had that experience to read, um, you know, not, not only to double check my Spanish, which is yeah. not great. Um, yeah. And my mom is a professor, so her Spanish is like super formal, so I can never get a straight answer from her on what it should sound like in the book. Um, but also just to make sure that Ashton's experience um, and the details about that were um, relatable. Yeah, I love the fact that he was like, San Juan, Umagao, a data <laughs> community, private school, um, white novel, like those are those are authentic details of someone who grew up on the island. Like I went to private school, like it's more likely for someone who comes from middle class or upper middle class to go to a private school as opposed right. to a public school. And even Umakao has gated communities. So that's actually, you know, it's it, there's like little tidbits that you can that I can share with my friends and be like, yeah, this is like my experience, you know. You should read this. Like this is what it looks like to live in Puerto Rico. You know? Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. I was, you know, hoping that like maybe I could get down there to like do some research, but it didn't happen just because of life. And then now yeah. it doesn't look like we're traveling anywhere for a while. Yeah. So. Yeah. But it's, it's on it. I feel like it just like it reflected. I think there's a misconception of people who think of the island. They're like, it's a lovely country and like, there's no, there's no English. Yeah. And there's like all these misconceptions around it. And the reality is like, you know, I grew up watching MTV. Right. <laughs> Yeah, there's cable TV. There's cable TV. There's internet. <laughs> there's internet, you know. There there is a lot of Americanized, you know, experience. Like it's just basically it's like it's like Miami, except that they speak more Spanish than Miami. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love it. Um so you you actually use the trope, the famous people trope. Why go with that trope? What inspired you to write that? So I write about this trope because it's the closest I can get to including magic in a contemporary romance. Oh my gosh. Because I really just love writing paranormals, but nobody wanted me to write them. So I'm like, okay, how can I write something that's still a little bit like larger than life? Yeah. And for me, that's including people who have a level of fame and celebrity. But it's also because I like to write about creative people who are living their dreams on their own terms. and finding real success in these creative fields. And I think especially writing about uh, Latinx or immigrant or POC characters, it's really important to show these characters being successful in creative fields Mm -hmm. because there is more than one vision of success. But, you know, often I think um, maybe our parents or grandparents' generations can think that there is only one way. Mm -hmm. In my family, it was very much education is the way out and up. So you get as many degrees as you can. And I was like, I'm going to art school. (laughs) So it's, 
for me, it's very important to show creative people, people of color finding success. Yeah, I love it. I love the fact that you represented even the fake show, the novella, was you know a Netflix show or Screenflix show that right. <laughs> that was set, you know on land you know land production with diverse audience like people of color, trans trans character. Like there's there's a diversity, and that's something that we want to see more. And there, Hollywood is just responding, you know, slowly but surely. But it's it's a reflection that's what's happening. Yeah, I thought it was, you know, important to show the intersectionality there. Um, And again, that we're not a monolith. So not everybody on the show was going to be Puerto Rican, Um, which if you look at a lot of these shows that there are now, and, you know, luckily, um, we do have more shows now that are Latinx centric. Um, I was uh, watching One Day at a Time. Uh, the remake when I was thinking about this, um, which is about a Cuban family, but most of the actors on the show are Puerto Rican. Um, You know, uh, we have the Baker and the Beauty, which just started this month. Uh, Party of Five and Charmed have had reboots with Latinx families. I haven't watched either of them yet. I started Party of Five, but the app was like not working for me well. (laughs) Um, So but again, it would be nice to have more, you know, just to show the range and the multifaceted experiences that exist within this very large and diverse community. Yeah, I love it. I think it's just like, it was just reflective of what it was or what it is. And so I love the fact that it was just like, it, it, felt, it felt contemporary to the experience. Um, so there's Vera, the intimacy coordinator. Is that a real life job in... Yes, it is. Um, You know, we, in the last few years, we've heard uh, a lot of things that have happened behind the scenes that have made actors very uncomfortable. So intimacy coordinators started in theater as a way of really helping the actors uh, feel comfortable with what they had to do with each other on stage and is now being used more and more in film and TV. Um, You know, there are things like um, nudity riders that are included in their contracts as well. That didn't make it into the book because there's only so much I could (laughs) include. But, um, you know, there's a lot of negotiation about that stuff. And the intimacy coordinator is there to just make sure that everything is above board, um, that the actors are not being pushed to do things that they're not comfortable with, um, and, you know, that it still all works for the show. Yeah, I really love that scene. I love I love her inclusion in the process because it just made it seem there's a there's a method to the madness. There's a reason right. why there's you know kissing and all those different things. There's there's we have taken consideration, especially with the Me Too era. This exactly. So. Yeah, it it was also that um, you know I think people were expecting the book to be like oh they're gonna like practice kissing on the side secretly and like. You know, I think initially I might have had that in mind, but that wouldn't fly now. Um, So it it was really important for me when they do start kissing behind the scenes. (laughs) They're like, this is not related to the show at all. Yeah, I really like that. I really like the parallel. Like it wasn't like automatically kissing on the side. It was like, ooh, we have a ruins novel. Like the build up is different. There's There's a parallel storyline. Talking of parallel storylines, what is it like to write a telenovela within a telenovela? (laughs) 
It was really fun. I, I love things that have a show within a show. Yeah. Um, and as part of my inspiration for this book, you know, I was really thinking, how do I show the acting scenes? Because in my dance-off series, I showed the dance scenes in a certain way. And I was like, I, I don't want to do like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to do it in a way that's not going to be boring for the reader where they're like constantly yelling cut and like changing the lights or whatever. Yeah. So I thought about the things that I'd seen that had a show within a show. Like um, on Broadway last year, I saw Kiss Me Kate and Moulin Rouge. And I rewatched the show de la novela starring Eva Longoria. Oh. And I was like, oh, you just show the scene yeah. that they're in. And, you know, without any cuts until the end of the scene or whatever. Um, But I also wanted to make sure, you know, that you were A, getting another satisfying story Mm -hmm. through the telenovela that they're on, but also that you still got Ashton and Jasmine's feelings Mm -hmm. and thoughts as they were these characters. Um, So that was really fun to do. Yeah, it was really fun. And you got to incorporate the second chance romance, you know, into... I love a second chance romance. <laughs> into the trope, which is, you know, the one day, one day, and married couple, you know, divorced married couple in crisis. So it was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So Jasmine has... Jasmine is an interesting character. She has the leading lady plan. She's been hounded by the paparazzis after a breakup. And then she has, she looks for external validation, you know, to feel love or looking for love in the wrong places and so on, right? What was important, you know, how did the plan, uh, the leading lady plan help Jasmine grow throughout the story? So the leading lady plan is Jasmine's way of trying to accept that she does deserve more and deserve better. Um, But let's be real, she's really not that great at following the plan. Um, I wanted to write this character as someone who just really loves love. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in the past, these kinds of characters might have been called other names. Probably the nicest one is called Boy Crazy. Um, But it's really just that she wants to be loved and she wants to love someone and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, as she starts to realize that she's actually looking for her parents' love in all of the wrong places. So yeah. I thought that was pretty relatable. And, um, you know, she starts to learn to separate those things, um, looking for a healthy relationship instead of just a relationship. Yeah. And the plan is, uh, you know, supposed to be the thing that helps her get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I love her her cousins. I love that the text conversations, they, they have each other's back. You know, even though Jasmine's religious with her family, she feels like, you know, she feels outside of it. And she feels like um, she has at least that common bond with the, with the primas to help her kind of like get through it. And so it was really cool to see like that, that role of the big family, the big Latin family into that experience. Yeah, the, her, Jasmine and her cousins, um, that was actually where the idea for this series came from. Um, I just thought, I want to write a series about three biracial Puerto Rican cousins. Mm-hmm. And because that's something that's so important to me in my life is my relationships and friendships with some of my cousins. So 
And I know that that is something from our experience, but that not everybody has. Yeah. I mean, I also have tons of cousins, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but I like text them every day. And, you know, even though they don't live here, um, you know, we text each other, we send pictures, we're like, help me pick this outfit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I wanted to really show that bond in these books. And um, it was just a lot of fun to write uh, their, their scenes together and their text exchanges. Yeah, I love the cousins. So, are we getting books for the cousins? Is that yes? Oh my gosh! Michelle is next. Oh, this is so exciting. They're like they're so good. They're so much fun. <laughs> I love them. The primos of power. My cousin Lisa coined that term. <laughs> I love the, the term. It's like it's quite the whole thing, you yeah. know, primos power. Like you just get there. So that's awesome. Um, so Ashton, on the other hand, has a small family. He's actually he's private, he doesn't trust a lot of people, he doesn't trust fame. What was it important to have that character trope into, you know, as a hero? Well, I wanted to show um, a difference between the two of them in terms of their family lives and experiences. Um, So that when, um, trying not to spoil the ending. (laughs) (laughs) When it ends, It's more satisfying. Yes. <laughs> um, based on what happens. Yes. Sufficiently vague. Um, so, you know, and also not everybody who's Puerto Rican has a huge family. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I know anyone. I, do. I actually, I'll count as that. I don't have a huge family. Okay. And so, yeah. It's like, um, we're like, I think for my mom's side, mom was an only child. So there was like no cousins from that side. And for my dad's side, there's cousins, but we're not close. So yeah, it's a smaller, it's a smaller nuclear network. Like we're, I consider my close family will be my mom, my stepdad, my brother. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Like my boyfriend has one first cousin, which is just wild to me. Cause I have like 20. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I wanted to show that difference um, and also that it's something that draws Ashton to Jasmine, you know, the yeah. way that she lights up around her family, even though she's very frustrated with them a lot of the time, yeah. um, you know, that he, you know, he, he realizes he misses that. Yep. Even though he is very, very close with his immediate family. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so did you watch soap operas or telling us growing up? I did. So my grandmother watched telenovelas. Okay. daily every evening um but she would kick me and my cousin out of the room <laughs> when she watched them oh no because <laughs> we were little and also i i don't even think it was about like content i think she just didn't want us to bother her yeah. or talk during the show or <laughs> interrupt her in any way so we would have to leave the room when her telenovelas come, came on like she would come out of the kitchen and be like mi novelas and like we would have to scram okay <laughs> um but I had um, a neighbor uh, who lived across the street from my mom, who was also a Puerto Rican grandmother, although not mine. And she would babysit me when I was homesick from school. And she watched The Young and the Restless every day. Okay. <laughs> and so I would watch it with her. And then when I started going to her house after school, because my mom was very paranoid that I was going to get snatched uh, if I went into the house alone, I would have to go see, you know, stay with Tula. And she would fill me in on everything that had happened in the episode that day. 
so that was like, that was my show, Young and the Restless. And then um, in college, uh, thanks to friends um, and my first roommate, I started watching Passions Ooh. and The Bold and the Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Those were my shows then. I love it. Yeah. Passions was mentioned in another book. It's an even title too, and it was fun to see because I read them back to back, and I was like, "Passions!" And I was like, "It's such a like a unique story." It's so weird. Because <laughs> like you know, like once you know, you know. You're like, yeah. "Oh my god!" So it's awesome to see it. Like he mentioned a couple of times, like, "What happened to passion? Why?" I really had to look it up and be like, "Do I really remember how like?" bonkers this show was you know or am I making it up was it a fever dream and no it really was what we think it was yeah but so fun it was so fun so and I love the love Ashton's character being in the novella star and how he starred in multiple shows because it's so reflective of the novella culture especially the Miami culture of the novellas where they were like you just wrap one show and you star another show you're just a different character but you're you're gonna be known for all of these multiple characters yeah I I did a ton of research into the telenovela industry and it's really fascinating but I couldn't fit all of it into the book. Yeah. Um, and then there were just certain things that were in flux. Like as of um, just a couple years ago, the telenovela actors working in Miami were not a union mm. because Miami, it's called something like a work for hire state. Florida is a work for hire state or some, something, some term like that, which means that they can hire actors who are not union and not give them all of the kinds of benefits and pay. So Villanovala actors do not make a lot of money unless they're like super famous. Yeah. So this is why Ashton is so worried about money and his family. But you know, it's also, of course, that's the big difference between American soap operas and the Spanish language telenovelas is that, uh, they're like, you know, one or two seasons. They're much shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wanted to include some of that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I think it's something that's unique. I think it's unique to land culture. Like, they're, they're producing these shows. They're like, and they become really famous. And then they get, they get the end. There's a season finale. And then you start a new show. Like, yeah. I, I remember growing up watching them well, so It was like, you had, you spend like four or five months watching one. And then it's over. And then you start. And then the next week, we start a new one, you know. So, and the characters will cross over and all those different things. But um, there's a there's a it's, there, there's an ending that you know yeah. American soap operas. I did ask my grandmother about this um, probably when I was a teenager. Yeah, I was like, Grandma, why don't you watch American soap operas? And she was like, They never end. <laughs> <laughs> They're too yeah. long. They're too long. Yeah, and then you catch up. I used to watch General Hospital, and I will spend years without watching, and then I'll watch one episode. I'm like, I know what's happening. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you get an idea. You may have, and you may have different characters or different actors playing different characters, but you get the idea. Like you know, it just doesn't end. So awesome. So now let's go to a round of book recommendations. This is an opportunity to share with our audience what they should read next. So what is your favorite genre? My favorite genre to read is historicals, actually. Really? <laughs> yes. I just love the tropes in them, um, you know, and there are certain tropes that work so well in historicals, like marriage of convenience yes. and things like that, um, you know, and they all, there's like different kinds of constraints 
yeah. the characters and stories based on the time period or lack of technology or, uh, you know, setting. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the one. I love it. And so who's your favorite author? This is such a hard question. Um, all right, I'm going to throw a bunch of names at you because I can't pick just one. Um, it used to be Nora Roberts because she was the first romance author that I read. I started reading her when I was 15 and I pretty much only read her books for like 10 years. Like not only her, but only her in romance for the most yeah. part, except when I would sneak books from my mom's shelf because she had hundreds of romance novels at home, Oh, cool! if not more. Um, now I would say I will read anything by Adriana Herrera, yep. Tessa Dare, and Sarah McLean, again, because I love historicals. Yeah. Um, and for people who, you know, are looking for recommendations, um, I would say Alyssa Cole and Zoraida Cordova both have such varied backlists that no matter what you like, you can find something that you'll like that they've written. Yeah, those are awesome. Um, what are your top three favorite books of all time? That's another really hard question, Laura. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I actually, I do have my top three from last year. Okay, perfect. So I will give those. Uh, the Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo yeah. is just so good. I highly recommend it in audiobook because she reads it herself and there's a spoken word component. Oh, just really, really good. Um, Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase. Yeah. Uh, which I reread last year and loved. Um, and then Peter Darling by Austin Chant, which is like uh, Peter Pan, Captain Hook kind of story yeah. <laughs> is very good. And what book have you read this year that you love? I really, really loved The Worst Best Man by Mia Sosa. And I am not just saying that because she's my friend. I'm actually a little jealous of how good it is, but also super proud of her. Um, it's just it's so funny and sexy and you know, that trope doesn't always work for me or I get really nervous about like yeah. the ex's brother trope, but she just totally made it work yeah. and pulled it off. And it was just really like a true rom-com. I really want it to be made into a movie yeah. when they can start making movies again. <laughs> yeah. I love that book. I love the just one bad trope, the pranks, the villain culture. Like it just had a little bit of everything and it just worked perfectly yeah that one's also good in audio oh that's good they job. got a, a brazilian um the heroine's read by a brazilian uh voice actor oh that's awesome that's good to know so where we can find you online so you can find me on twitter and instagram at at alexis daria and my website is alexisdaria.com awesome thank you alexis for being on the show thank you so much for having me this was really fun if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share with friends, subscribe, or rate and review the show. This is the easiest way to support this podcast. Want to join a romance-loving community? Want weekly book recommendations, monthly author Q&As, and book recommendation meetups? Make new friends? Then join our Patreon community. To sign up, please follow the links in the show notes. What to Read Next podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to love on frolic.media slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.